When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Over Under Movies, the podcast in which we pick one overrated movie and one underrated movie, similar in tone, genre, or style, and we discuss them. I'm Ryan Oliver. This is Octay Ege Kozak. And I'm Eric McClanahan. So it's been a while since we've done an episode. Um, been pretty much took the whole month of July off, but we're happy to be back here recording. And uh, if you remember our previous episode, Eric teased his next two picks. Which we'll be talking about today is a gross-out double feature, um, and they are gross to say the least. Um, and we'll and we'll just uh, dive right in. Uh, sounds like we're going to talk about both simultaneously. So the overrated is John Waters's third film, Pink Flamingos, the one that kind of really put him on the map. And Taxidermia is our underrated movie, this Hungarian film by the director whose name is escaping me at the moment, Yorgi Palfi. Uh, Yorgi Palfi. So. Well, you're the expert on the movies. These are the movies you picked. Why is Pink Flamingos over and Taxidermia under? Yes? Miss Babs Johnson? Yes, I'm Babs Johnson. Special delivery package, ma'am. To sign here, please. What do you mean, special delivery package? There's no address here. It says right here, Babs Johnson, a trailer, Phoenix, Maryland. And you are Babs Johnson, aren't you? Of course I'm Babs Johnson. I just told you that. But there is no address here. This is not on any road, route, or street. And I don't want people on my property. So don't ever bring mail here again, do you understand? And the next package you bring me is getting shoved right up your little ass. Can you comprehend that? Well, uh, yeah, uh, I, and I, you know, I don't think this will be structured like a typical episode. We're not gonna, we're not gonna cleave it in half and do one movie now and the other. We're we're gonna kind of intermix. And I think most of the reason is is that these two movies fit together. I think really well conceptually for for an over under uh, episode in that they are both uh, very different. They they land on very opposite poles of the kind of if you're gonna broadly define them like gross out movies. Um, you know, which Ryan had already said, like there's, these are both gross movies and that's sort of what their attraction is. I think it's what gives them juice. It's what, it's what would make someone probably seek it out or know in an instant that I have no interest in watching it. And they trade in it in very different ways. As I said, um, pink flamingos is, I'm not going to say it's a terrible movie. It's just, it's kind of one that I, not I haven't watched admittedly enough John Waters stuff, but this is the one that you often hear of or hear the most about. It's it's perhaps his most notorious movie, maybe not his most beloved. I feel like Hairspray might be that or, um, you know, maybe any of the other films he did with Divine. But it, it really seems like Pink Flamingos is that seminal John Waters movie. And it is a movie that does something that I think is something I uh, look for when I'm, you know, just looking for a movie to watch is it shows me something I've never seen before, but with pink flamingos, it's, it's a sort of, 
that's all it has is it's it's literally the plot of the movie if you even want to call it that is just to see who can be the filthiest character in the movie who can be the filthiest person alive and if we um just contrast it uh against something like taxidermia which in a way wouldn't exist if it weren't for movies like pink flamingos that like push the they push the envelope of what can be shown in a cinema what we would even expect to see in a in a cinema but what i love about taxidermy is it's it represents um for me like what's great about modern art house cinema or just modern art films is like they can take a really like a low form a b grade kind of movie or something that is simple and exploitate exploitative but try to elevate it you know to the level of like cinema you know cinema like art and try to do something really like awesome with it for lack of a better description so that's kind of my thesis for for this episode and um, because, uh, you know, I'm sure we, I, you know, we all have opinions on pink flamingos and I'd love to know those, but I feel like the sooner we kind of dig into those and move on to taxidermia, I think the richer the conversation, because I'd love to know what you guys think about taxidermia. Um, since this is like you're both of you, this is your first viewing of it, but, um, why don't we go to, to Octay, like, um, you know, pink flamingos thoughts, and then, um, you know, building off of that to, to taxidermia. Well, I've always kind of watched Pink Flamingos on home video in a way that you can stop it and fast forward and rewind and mm. just kind of play around with it and I feel like you know I could semi-confidently say that I've seen Pink Flamingos a bunch of times ever since uh, the college years or something like that but I don't think up until the point where you picked this to be uh, as an overrated pick and it which kind of forced me to kind of sit through the whole thing from beginning to end, and I don't think I've ever done that before. And I think the main reason is because, um, kind of like you said, like the shock value is all that this film has. It doesn't really have a story. It doesn't really have another reason to exist. Uh, and that's kind of like, and it's not like John John Waters is apologetic about that, or it's like that's the whole point of it. Is the the like he's not trying to. He wasn't trying to do anything deeper than what's really on this on the screen which is basically a series of just grotesque gross out moments and the whole point of the film if there even is like this tiny thin shoestring plot that that plot is basically about like it's two families who can basically try to figure out and they have this rivalry between them to see which one of them is like the most depraved filthiest person alive so it's it's the problem with watching that film now with a contemporary outlook is that uh its shock value back then was uh pretty high uh, around the time of the early 70s when um people were really starting to push the envelope further and further to see what they could get away with and this this film is like kind of like the the poster child of that because that's what it's all about it's about like how far can we push depravity to see what we can get away with which was like fascinating and fresh and interesting at the time to like uh indie filmmakers and film people and film buffs who were like really into that kind of scene to really into like what kind of revolutionary output can we get out in the cinemas to like basically kick out the squares and like come up with something new and exciting and broad and uh ballsy like that so i can i can definitely appreciate the cultural aspect of it uh, the problem is that once 
that that kind of very dated cultural significance passes <coughs> and the shock value is basically lost because we as you know jaded uh modern viewers we see stuff like that especially like critics or buffs like us all the time we see weird edgy stuff like that that's been like really pushing the envelope uh, you know uh, over the last 40 plus years since pink flamingos came out so it's really hard to kind of when that shock value is gone it's really hard to kind of like keep your attention on the film because as just on complete technical standards like storytelling acting or whatever else you want to put on it it's basically (laughs) um it's basically shot and acted like a porno from the period it's all Mm -hmm. like uh, very cheap 16 millimeter cinematography, all white shots, occasional zooms in and out, like no coverage. Um, really, just incredibly flat acting by, of course, non-professionals. I mean, it was these were all like uh, John Waters, like delightfully weird uh, friends, and all that's basically left is ba- is like, oh, you just look at like how quaint and weird and interesting his friends were, and how weird these characters are. But uh, that can only get you through an entire feature so much. And it's been... uh, And maybe that's why it's like every single time I just realized just sitting through the whole thing today that I've never done that before because every time I had it on home video or anything like that, I've always fast-forwarded it. I've always watched it in chunks. And the only thing I've really gotten out of uh, Pink Flamingos uh, pretty much every time I've seen it uh, has been... You know, oh, I can't believe they got away with that stuff in a mm. semi, maybe mainstream film or a indie that became kind of mainstream. That they could, you know, it's impressive that they could get away with that stuff back then. But I don't think it's worth it uh, to sit through the whole thing, other than like if you're really into the cultural research aspect of it. You you totally brought up a point that I was going to bring up um, when I had like my careful detailed outlines here about watching it with 2016 eyes because mm. the shock value is t- to me lost. I mean because yes we've had 40 plus years even in mainstream s- stuff I would say like even Jackass or whatever Sasha Baron Cohen and Larry totally. uh, Charles have put together like we've seen shit like that and so like I still think this movie is gross like it's mm. quite gross at times but shocking uh, i i think it's it's worn off and i for me this is the first time i've watched it um but i i did do a uh, a minor deep dive into waters's films uh, over the weekend i watched this as well as uh desperate living and polyester and nice. um wow. watching them simultaneously i i, I sort of came down the way that eric came down on the evil dead of that, uh, you know, the, between Evil Dead 2 and the remake, like, why do I need the original? I saw the test run for what was to come. And watching those movies, like, Waters' sort of sense of humor still isn't really my bag. I, I do find it to be kind of grating at times, even though, like, the exaggerated dialogue is just part of his thing as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. But I could see the progression of his movies and how it became more streamlined into something... I, I think more digestible and more interesting uh, and, and had more to say. I, I think that's where I get hung up on this movie is that it just has absolutely nothing to say. And it just, it becomes repetitive and sort of monotonous in its grotesquerie, um, which is something I felt a little bit during taxidermia until the very end, which we could, you know, maybe swing into that direction. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, that's, I mean, I think we're all basically on the same page uh, for the most part with Pink Flamingos. And that's, uh, thank you for the extra context and doing some extra homework, Ryan, because you're, you're making us look a little more, uh, a little, a little more uh, adding context to this conversation, which is important because um, Pink Flamingos is just, it's, it's a, like an important document and something like uh, that, like, it's great to represent that time period that this thing happened. It's, it's like, Important's the wrong word, but it's it's it means something, and that's that's fine. And again, you can't get a movie like Taxidermia or any other like crazy Gonzo uh, art house, or even like Jackass, as you mentioned uh, as well, Ryan. Like I thought of Jackass a lot while while watching Pink Flamingos uh, today, because you know John Waters has even done some cameos in the Jackass movies. Like they clearly these the worlds overlap; they kind of speak to each other. And to swing over to Taxidermia. I would love to know what you guys think even deeper on it, because to me, it's it is that other end of the spectrum where every shot is like created almost like a sequence where it's going to have something like some technical bravado, like a a long tracking shot or a crane shot that goes high or just like um, really stylistic editing or montage work like taxidermy is this explosion of style and has a bunch of gross out stuff. But it also, I feel like, has things to say, stuff like culturally about um, it is a Hungarian film. I think there's a lot of deep, like, Hungarian, um, you know, just, like, stuff buried into it that a lot of it might just go over my head. But on, like, on a visceral, like, entertainment level, I actually think it's it's refreshing how funny that film is and how bold it is, especially when you compare it to a lot of other like Eastern European type of cinema, which can often be challenging and difficult and taxidermia is challenging, but not in the way that I think a lot of us and other people think of when they think of like, you know, Eastern European cinema. So um, I think it's an exciting film and nobody's really, not many people have even heard of it. It barely got a U.S. release when it, when it was coming out, it just played in festivals. So now that like you guys have caught up with it, uh, Octay, like what, uh, what did you think uh, catching up with taxidermia? Well, I, I love watching uh, dicks turn into blow torches. So uh, this was <laughs> right the movie. The, this yeah, the was definitely scene. The, the movie for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's it has the like like kind of like Ryan said, and I'm sure Ryan's going to get into this too. It kind of had that same kind of reaction from me as well. Like for the first hour or so, I was like. Yeah, I could see why Eric picked this. It's a it's a kind of a series of like uh, grotesque uh situations and scenes that uh tries to it seems like it tries to like push the envelope as far as possible uh it's basically it's kind of an anthology film uh that uh kind of strings together three generations of of a hungarian family but you can split uh it into basically like three short films mm-hmm. and uh the first one i feel like is the most bizarre and kind of out of place one uh in com- comparison to the rest of the film i felt like i was so much more into uh the middle story and the final story that i kind of i kind of felt like i wanted to get more of that stuff uh and i felt Mm. like maybe the first 
one could have been just truncated down to like an introduction scene or a or a teaser or something like that but the but in the, but also in a way it's like the first story is like kind of like the most bizarre and surreal about this the these two soldiers in uh world war Two basically shacked up in this like middle of nowhere snowy um kind of place and um the guy the soldier who's like the the private uh is in charge of basically taking care of everything and around the area and there's these like two young women and the older woman who he kind of like starts being obsessed with and he becomes he turns into like a kind of a compulsive masturbator and uh it ends with him making sweet sweet love to a dead animal carcass so you can uh <laughs> you can look forward to that one and um yeah so like by the time that story was over i was just like okay this is like i can see why eric picked this this is like a series of <laughs> grotesque situations but done in a much more artful and fascinating and interesting way in a more contemporary way that that is that is a lot more fascinating and i'm before i get into the other stuff i'm kind of like really impressed with how beautiful this film looked considering the right? subject matter i mean i was more uh, as the film rolled along and all this like weird grotesque insanely like disgusting stuff happened i kept wondering more and more like is there a documentary out there that shows this guy like uh pitching um this movie because this is a movie with a with like a pretty sizable budget behind it it has amazing like makeup effects especially oh, yeah. at the very end um where you basically There's digital effects in it too man. it has like yeah. great digital effects in it and everything looks amazing the cinematography looks amazing there are some incredibly impressive shots that it pulls off with like the um you know like some 360 shots that reminded me of the car scene and you know like mix the car scene and children of man with the puking scene and stand by me and <laughs> that's what you get and there's a there's a like communal puking scene in this movie that basically calls the scene from stand by me like a like a hacky hollywood pussy you know like it's like it's basically like if you want to gross people out this is how it's done uh, but I was, yeah, I was kind of like, you know, just fascinated by the whole thing as the story went along. And then um, and then also just started to think, like, this movie is about something. Like, it started to mm-hmm. feel like there's something that I'm not picking up on. And I started <coughs> doing a little bit of research on, like, how the movie basically represents the Hungarian history of, like, World War Two and uh, having no identity. And then moving on to, like, the communist Hungary where it's, like people are like it's all about like appearances and the whole thing about like the the weird disgusting like uh speed eating uh sport and then the 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 final you know the final section is about like contemporary hungary and how like the disillusioned like young people rich people yeah yeah with the uh with the shitty economy how they have no future and i guess like i read a couple of reviews where they like mentioned uh about like the ha- the last story about that's the one that's really about taxidermy about it being like you know hungarians desperation to kind of preserve the past because they feel like they have no future so there's there's really there's there's interesting stuff here and there that's peppered throughout but i feel like this is a film that even if you don't know it's don't even know it's hungarian don't know anything about hungarian history don't know the parallels at all it's still like if you're into this like weird envelope pushing stuff that's handled really well in an art house way like i feel like this is a movie that would uh fascinate a lot of people uh what do you think ryan i'm still gestating it a 
bit, but I, I do think that it's stylistically impressive. I was both, like, for the first two-thirds of the movie, I felt it to be, like, I was both impressed, like, especially that 360 shot of the bathtub, like, kind of yes. showing, like, what that had been going through all these years, you know, just fits in with the sort of, like, through the years of Hungary that the film goes through. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I was simultaneously impressed with it on a visceral level, but also, like, feeling it was a little monotonous a little episodic like i was like mm-hmm. okay yeah. uh you know is, is there going to be more than these men succumbing to their deadly sins essentially like you know being brought down by the thing that you know by their by their sins essentially and so yeah, I'm is, like, i didn't see a deadly is, sin uh connection but you're right it's like yeah the first one is like lost the second lost, is like and then gluttony, gluttony and then uh or, or um, the second one the, is pride and the third one is gluttony i don't know yeah, either way, uh, I, I then then when it got to the very end of the movie, which I don't want to spoil because, like Eric said, no one's really gotten a chance to see this movie. And yeah. I, I definitely think people should. Like, I, I definitely think it's a worthwhile movie. That's when it got really interesting for me because, you know, having no um, having no context for the sort of Hungarian politics behind the movie, just on a basic cinematic level, the, uh, the way I kind of read into that end of that movie despite being a completely different genre and type of movie, it sort of reminded me of Blue Ruin, but as opposed to, like, uh-huh. ending a cycle of violence, right. they're ending a cycle of just a, a bloodline of people who really aren't fit and shouldn't exist in this world in the first <laughs> first place. Like, they, yeah. you know, it's an anomaly that this whole bloodline has happened and this sort of, like, they're... Right. They're, and they're aware of it, too. Well, like, there's an, almost it's, a it's sadness. It's kind of like an them. abomination from the very beginning with the baby mm. having a pig's tail. A pig tail, absolutely. Mm. And so, like, they're they're aware that they're, like, we're kind of not part of this world. And there's, like, a sort of, like, deep sadness to each person that they're that they realize that. And so, like, by that very ending, then it got really interesting. And then, not that it wasn't interesting before, but, and then I thought this would probably play so well on a second viewing. Oh yeah. But, but that would mean I'd have to watch it again. Yeah. That's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm like, Oh man, but it, it's, it's very fascinating and, and certainly much more t- to chew on than whatever pink flamingos left me, you know, numb to essentially by the end of that movie. Right. Yeah. I can attest it a second viewing, which this is what it was for me. Um, since, I I think like seven years maybe since I've seen Taxidermia or six or seven years like when it did you see it at a festival I didn't a friend had a region like two copy before it was ever even it was had already made festival rounds in like 2006 and I think in like 07 he was able to get a region two DVD that we watched in a movie club in Minneapolis so we just watched it at his house and this this is the one that of all this and this is a friend of mine uh he's been on the podcast nicholas bell he's done some of the playlist podcasts with me um this guy has introduced me to more strange shit like this but taxidermia really has like always stuck in my brain it's like i need to see that movie again and it's worth noting that if nothing else like if anything can come from us just like giving a little more attention to this movie because it's kind of starved for it is a blu-ray release should really be imminent for this like i think a really cool blu-ray label like arrow or, or you know one of those like that they're into the art house like yeah, you know it's a the beautiful European... looking film too so that would be oh, perfect it, for that. it deserves a big beautiful yeah but, release but then absolutely you'd get, you'd get some of those like nasty nasty details and like full 1080p so i don't know about that either <laughs> that like, is if, true if, if you want to see the every single tiniest detail of uh uh an aborted fetus uh being uh stuffed the uh, taxidermy 
you can know, do it. There's, yeah, you can you can really get into that. Like, look at all those <laughs> all those great details. Or yeah, the, and or, or, or a flat out like five minute sequence where all you're looking at is like giant uh, human internal organs being pulled out of a body. <laughs> also amazing. Also amazing. Yeah, that that's yeah, but mixed with like I, genuinely great shots, genuinely beautiful shots. Yeah, that's 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 the thing is there is really like uh, just so many memorable shots sequences in taxidermia that it makes it helps me that's another thing that uh and a comparative to pink flamingos is to pink flamingos really rough octa talked about it it's rough sort of like really low budget roots and style like they just did what they could with what they had Mm -hmm. taxidermia is just so much more uh in that other direction of like it's composed it's considered yet it gives you all the gross off gross out payoff stuff like Octay already hinted at it earlier too is in the opening of this scene a guy lights his like uh his cum on fire I'm not even sure no, I don't know does. what happens there but he, it's, it's yeah. fascinating this man <laughs> has sure. you you've never and that's the it other turns thing, his dick into a blowtorch like it, it's it does, it, like, yeah. it it spits fire basically and I don't know it's how incredible. to hell but he has this fetish for like burning himself and sucking in all the flame kinds of right. weird weird stuff uh right. You know. So this movie, it shows you tons of things that you've never seen before. Images that, like, you just, you don't forget stuff like that. And it also does have things to say. So I think, yeah, it works on multiple levels. I, I will attest, a repeat viewing actually made this movie deeper and funnier. Like, um, you know, a lot of people find John Waters' sense of humor funny. Um, I'm with Ryan in that. I, I So far, of what I've seen in my life, it doesn't really sync up. Like, I get what he's doing. I respect it, you know, but... Taxidermia is genuinely funny to me, and I think the uh, one other difference is the director, um, Yorgi Palfi, the Hungarian director. Like he really has a great sense of comic timing, where he's going to give you something like this aforementioned character uh, is obsessed with. Like anytime he sees the women on this like this sort of small like land that they're on, this house, he just like can't he can't con- yeah. yeah he can't contain himself and he starts jerking off, but. When that happens, uh, in one scene, a rooster comes over and just pecks at him, and <laughs> which is an oddly speaks to a really disgusting scene in Plink Flamingos that has to do with chickens and sex as well. Uh, but in this one, the director, Palfi, he just knows when to cut. He gives I you a few moments. animal cruelty, by the way, because apparently a couple of those chickens died while they were shooting that scene in yeah, Plink Flamingos. Yep. <laughs> right, right. Speaking yeah, of animal cruelty, the one like sort of problematic thing about this movie for me just for the record is the treatment of cats just deeply bothers me in this movie. Huh. Um, totally. totally. Yeah. But that's, that's, I, that's well, all well, I they, they get to have that. a pretty big feast, you know, uh, they do, but it, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it, I don't know. That was bizarre. What the fuck was he doing? Like without spoiling too much, what the fuck was he trying to do with the, was, was he trying to like turn the cats into like speed eating champions or something? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like, so or, like, so, I think this so in this good... universe, there's a, there's a subcategory of like animal speed. Like it, it what what's fascinating about about this movie to me is the some of the weird like absurd world building that that it does. Like it takes place in a universe where speed eating contests where you just like eat a whole bunch of like and not just like you know speed eating is usually just like fun food like hot dogs, hot dogs. and stuff and they don't turn it into fun food like the people who are no. like professional speed eaters like they dip it in water and like stick it down their throat like they're obviously not having fun but but at least it's like it's supposed to be like tasty edible food but and in this universe the speed eating competitions is supposed to be like gross out food with like weird shit like gauzes and plastic in it that yeah. they have to eat and then they do this like communal 
throwing up. And the thing that makes it so, like, kind of fascinating, disgusting is how matter-of-factly, like, this is like a, this is like a, like, this is as normal to them, like, just sitting around a table and puking into a bucket altogether. Totally. This is as normal <laughs> to them as, like, whatever post-game thing, like, football players or baseball players would do to, right. like, relax after a game or to, like... It's just a, it's just a couple of teammates BSing after they just, you know, they just worked their bodies. Yeah, they're you just know, having, they just... like, casual conversation about, like, oh, that chick <laughs> is hot or, like, you think she, she's interested in you and blah, whatever. And in between every single sentence, they're, like, projectile vomiting. And it's, like, no, and nobody's, like, everybody's, like, it's totally fine, totally normal. But it's it's weird that it's, like... That's why I feel like the middle section, to me, I was, like... Man, the other stuff is interesting too, but I, I I kind of wish that it was like a whole feature on its own, like mm. this Rocky style story of like this competitive eater, but it's all like taken at face value. Like mm. this is just the world that exists. This is as this is a sport that's as big and famous as like soccer or football or. Uh, I think you've, I think you've really gotten you've gotten onto something that is it like that I love about taxidermia is that, that it, it does not exist in the real world. It creates its own world, but you know, re- looks relatively like what we notice as the real world. But yeah, there's all these surreal, like, and straight face taken at face value, like elements to it. And, um, God, because, you know, most people probably don't know much about the movie. I feel like we got to get in a little bit of a narrative through line just to help, you know, the audience mm-hmm. to, to understand because we could just sit here and, and just be like, what about, you know, there's so much crazy shit in the movie that mm-hmm. um, we could just list that off. But let's let's try to, like, dig into the narrative a little bit of so there is this soldier character in the first period. It's like World War Two. Yeah, he he you're not even exactly sure, but he either <clears throat> rapes or has sex with the uh, man in charge, his lieutenant, his wife, mm-hmm. and she gives birth to. Uh, their baby who will grow up in the next in the middle the half baby the, has the baby has the pig's tail he has a pig's tail yeah it's very surreal it gets cut off and you know that that's the character when they jump ahead in time in the middle story and it's that baby now grown up has become one of these hungarian like they want to become an olympic olympic sport that's one of the plot lines of the middle storyline is that mm-hmm. They want the speed eating that the character's involved in to become like re- like recognized as a sport. And um, it, it sort of dives into the disappointment that comes when it doesn't happen for that lead character. Mm-hmm. And he falls in love with a woman in that middle that middle storyline. And then uh, they either do or she has another or the wife has uh, it's. There are some things in this movie that feel skipped over or maybe scenes are missing. And uh, some of it has to do with whether or not the the child in the third story who becomes the, you know, the yeah, main who's, character. Whose kid he is. And, whose kid is yeah. it? Exactly. And there are things I, I did read. She, and she's, um, she's sleeping with both the um, both the eaters. eaters. Yeah, right. Right. There's this sort of competitive thing they have. But the movie sort of does feel like there are linking scenes uh, missing. And I, I come to find out that there was a lot more footage shot that uh, for whatever reason, I, I haven't found out yet is they just didn't make it into this cut, but you can kind of see like still that most likely this son in the third storyline who becomes, it's like modern day hungry and he's uh, really gifted taxidermist, but he's lonely and he lives with now his father who is become this grotesquely obese man who can't get he's, out of his uh, he's chair. He's a working class version of Mr. Creosol from uh, Monty Python's Meaning of Life. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I also thought of that <clears throat> that character from the first Blade movie. Blade, yeah, the, the yeah. giant character. Yeah, yeah. That has the really like kid-like voice. Yeah. Totally. So, um, and that's 
so all of these elements, this this crazy story that it doesn't appear at least on this like when you're getting into the movie, it's hard to tell like, oh, are these separate stories? Because it does play like a like three sh- separate short stories. But the beautiful thing is he's found a way to kind of link that into a grand narrative. And I think that's really creative and fun and as you know, disgusting and messed up as the movie is. I do love how it just really ties everything up in the end. And it ends the generational thing that has been the through line in all the stories, but also has a sort of another satirical jab and like another element to it where it's like, so the, 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 you know, being vague enough, the bloodline has kind of come to an end at the movie at the near the climax of the movie. There's this, there are these remnants of it, but who are the people that sort of get to capitalize on that? And it's the rich upper class of Hungary. And I love, I love what that final tracking shot of all of them, it's just all these like lifeless people. Like they look like they belong in a a Kubrick film. They're all wearing the same clothes. Yeah. It has this like Kubrick style coldness to it. Um, Yeah. And they, 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 and he totally, he, he totally, the guy, uh, the rich art curator guy completely takes advantage of it. Probably makes all the money out of, Totally. Like that that whatever like that very like intense art project. I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> but but I think I think the the thematic through line of the film I think goes back to something that Ryan said as well about the boy being born and uh, being an abomination. And it almost tracks. Uh, it reminded me the symbolic uh, connections in the film uh, with Hungary's uh, history. Uh, after World War II, uh, reminded me of uh, the Tin Drum, the late seventies no, journal German film. film. Uh, have you guys seen that before? I, I have gotten the chance. No. Yeah, so so that film is about um, a boy who stops growing up from the age of ten and becomes like basically goes into Arrested Development from the basically from the moment German Germany becomes falls under the power of the not becomes Nazi Germany. And then he just stops growing up until the end of World War Two. So it's almost like it's an interesting, it's a really interesting story uh, in and of itself. And you can watch it and be fascinated by it without the uh, the symbolic histor- historic context. But it makes it so much more interesting when you realize that the story is an allegory for like how Germany basically stopped growing up and was basically a child. Um, like an impulsive child for the duration of World War II. And this kind of made me uh, think of that too, like the beginning of that abomination uh, in connection to Hungary's history is World War II. And then, you know, it's like, it's like it, it just, and then it just like follows through on this like grotesque kind of, you know, abomination that the, that the country has gone through many different, like, you know, fascism and then communism and now capitalism uh, and just goes through like all the the pain and confusion that it goes through, and then in the end, it just ends on a note of like, you know, this country uh, kind of has no future. So all we can do is like have rich people um, appropriate our souls and our art, and basically uh, have nothing but to look back into the future. So that that stuff is fascinating. On top of like all the weird, um, you know, over the top, disgusting stuff as well. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Um, that's, that's the other thing I love when I'm talking about how I love like art house movies, how they can sort of take on or just a, just a filmmaker with a more artful like style or someone who takes it has more money behind them, you know, which all these things were clearly the difference for taxidermia versus like a pink flamingos is, but the, 
how and you know something that's kind of got all these exploitative elements to it can be elevated. I, I don't know. It's really as you guys know that that's that's my sweet spot. It's not just that this. You know, this movie has a bunch of gross, fucked up stuff in it, although clearly that's, you know, something I it's a common factor in a lot of the movies I love, you know, like I get it. But I love that that convergence, that that merging of like the low with the high. And I think taxidermy is one of the it's like it's right in that perfect sweet spot for me um, personally. And it's 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 like. Yeah, it's 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 disgusting. It's fucked up. But God, like it is a movie like I kind of need movies like this. Like it, it um, I don't know about you guys, but there hasn't been a lot. Um, you know, we're recording this. It's about mid-August, you know, 2016. I'm not, it's not really been that exciting of a summer movie season. It's been pretty bad. You well, know? well, talk about gross out. I want to get into a little bit of a sausage party, maybe like without without envelope pushing stuff like. Um pink flamingos or taxidermia uh especially like going back to how uh, stuff like pink flamingos the kind of irreverent like over-the-top gross-out humor basically enabled like decades down the line of stuff like that becoming uh mainstream you know just 10 years ago you had borat which featured you know two naked men basically straight up 69ing each other and like sasha <laughs> burn Cohen like digging his face into the butt crack of like this you know 350 pound dude um and now you you have this like hard r-rated expensive cgi animated movie that's that has that shows like a whole bunch of different supermarket like anthropomorphized supermarket foods like just having this like wild orgy and this is a straight up like mainstream movie and it's like uh that's why like that's where my appreciation for uh the cultural context of something like pink flamingos comes through like it's not mm. a film that i feel like people i wouldn't recommend people to watch as any f- sort of contemporary entertainment value but yeah it is a it is a document in the sense that it has it has had like immense kind of uh cultural impact so that's that's one of the things that uh even though you guys are not into like john waters maybe later uh, kind of sense of humor when he became a bit more like refined and a bit more mainstream I guess uh, which mm-hmm. I kind of want to stand up to him for just a minute uh, stand up for him for just a minute and um, you know it's like it's, I think I think down the line like as as unrefined and as boring as Pink Flamingos can be now I think his his kind of melding of influences between like 1950s wholesome rockabilly and um envelope pushing grotesquery that's like kind of inspired by what but what 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 people like uh like ross mayer started mm-hmm. you know like uh, john waters is basically like just um you know picked take, up the take, torch, from, up the torch from uh yeah. ross mayer and ross mayer's films are equal are, are sim- similar in that vein that um they they are like they're fascinating as documents but they're very hard to watch with contemporary eyes like if you try to watch like beyond the value of the dolls or faster pussycat kill kill like they are i don't want to say gaudy or tacky uh like campy yeah that's the word they they were they were like really campy and over the top back then and now they're just like they're very hard to kind of sit through now but we without them we don't have any of that like kind of really weird stuff that became pretty much mainstream i mean you're gonna have a multi-million dollar like uh movie about sausages fucking that's going to release in like however thousands of theaters across the United States. So um, without all those people, it's like it's it would it would have been hard to like 
get this point and mm-hmm. to to be mm-hmm. able to like mix you know this type of like envelope pushing stuff with like seriously smart filmmaking which is you know which is something that <clears throat> uh sausage party miraculous miraculously um captures that's good right. to know because we need a jump start in this summer as good eric got it out Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> for sure and also uh you know just just to further agree with you on the sort of like the merging of the high and the low, that's really how I can only take these movies. Like, you know, as much as pink flamingos can be appreciated for, for, you know, influencing movies like this or influencing movies of harmony Korean or, or anybody else who's like Mm -hmm. boundary pushing like that. Um, but like, to me, it has to have a purpose and it has to have a sort of like satirical or allegorical edge to it, or it has to be stylish and like shot in a way that is cool and cinematic that you can like endure the grossness and taxidermia for the most part, you know, like qualms aside with it, it does both. And that's admirable that it, that it pulls that off. Totally. I mean, I, yeah, so go ahead, Eric. Sorry. Oh, no, I'm, um, I, I was just going to say like, it's it in a lot of ways it's, it's uh, you know, why I love something like Requiem for a dream. It's such a bleak movie. It's like most people cite that as like the all time, like one time watch and you never want to again. I've watched it several times because it's so cinematic. It's so sty- like all the stylistic and all that stuff helps me get through like it it makes the experience worth it for me as draining as it can be and taxidermia operates on a similar level where it's like yeah it's gross it has all those things but the filmmaking man like that's what i'm after when i'm when i want to when yeah when i want to get excited about watching movies going to the movies thinking about them all that it's stuff like this and it really is um kind of mind-blowing but maybe not it's a weird movie taxidermia but this filmmaker like should be i just feel like more people should know about him he should it's it's a shame how few movies he's been able to make um uh he's only made about uh three and then three features i think and then a couple other things that are spliced together from old footage he's he's had a sort of like not an abundant career. And, um, I just, yeah, I I think he's clearly talented and the DP, the cinematographer on this movie, the, um, all the elements, the editing, like all the technical people, like they should be getting like great, they should be getting great work out of it. But like, then again, I don't know if that's the case, especially considering what they were asked to photograph, right? They they pulled it off photographing in such a beautiful way, like looking at like internal, like organs that basically look human, for all yeah. day long trying to get the right uh lighting you know kudos <laughs> <laughs> well I, I wouldn't yeah. be able to do that <laughs> i i think the style of the movie too is like it also kind of talks about um you know talk about picking the picking up the torch is what the yorgi palfi and all the people that you know worked on the production of taxidermia what i think they have done is picked up the torch that like was left by once interesting filmmakers like Terry Gilliam or Tim Burton, like they are operating up Jean-Pierre Genet, the, you know, director of Amelie and, you know, Delicatessen. Mm -hmm. I think those directors really are speaking to, or Yorgi Palfi is sort of indebted to them Mm -hmm. in a lot of the surrealist, uh, surrealistic elements of, of the film, but he's striking out on his own and he's making vital, interesting work. Whereas I think all three of those filmmakers have just, 
become less and less interesting as they've gone on. And we've even, you know, knocked Gilliam on this podcast, you know, in, in mm-hmm. with uh, the Fear and Loathing episode. So it, it's um, because I still love what those directors have done. It's nice to see another far lesser known director, but one who should be known. I, it's just great to see someone else pick up that torch and give me that sort of narcotic hit that I like from movies like that. Like, wow, you know, the first time I saw Taxidermia and that camera, well, for one, I saw a flaming, you know, a, a blowtorch penis in the first three minutes. I was like, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> I, I'm in. <laughs> I'm totally in. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, there's the, we've talked about it. There's a 360 shot revolving around a bathroom, uh, a bathtub. Mm-hmm. I was like, fuck me, man. I am in. If this is what this movie is just packing this stuff in, there's a, there's another shot in the same first sequence where the lead character opens up a, like a fairy tale children's pop-up book, but yet we become in that like the camera dives down into it and they're in that world and they're flat two dimensional yeah yeah and that, and that and that beautiful um creativity uh and the work that went into it is basically used to show how much of a sick child molester this guy is totally and it goes like to that becomes the end saying. point yeah. it's almost exactly. like trolling it's almost like a version of a way of like how how gleefully absurd this movie is and how it like yes. messes with your expectations you expect this like Oh, it's a beautiful, like a fairy tale pop up book come to life. And then it just turns into like, oh, the guy, the pervert basically puts himself into the story so that. And, you know, it's like the, the poor matchstick girl, man. Hasn't she had enough? Like, you, you have to, like, put that on. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that story, but that's a really sad. Um, I'm not super familiar, but it's the story. it's the book that he opens. Yeah. Yeah. The little matchstick girl. That's like a really sad story that. um you know, I uh, going to grade school and stuff like we, right. we used to read. And it's like, you know, it's basically about like the little girls like sells matches. She's really poor and homeless. And the end shows her like uh, a family like invites her into like a feast. And she has this like amazing time. But then you find out that she's actually died in the corner. You know, that was like her, her fantasy before dying or something like it's it's an incredibly sad story, actually. Like it's it's sort of shown as this like beautiful fairy tale pop-up book form so it's like that adds another that i mean uh it's interesting that you guys are not familiar with that story because to me it added this other dimension of like dude that's a tragic figure and on top of that you're gonna add like child molestation on that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and then um maybe it's just been a long time that sounds familiar i just don't remember the story like the title off the yeah, top disney, of my head disney actually uh there's a dvd or blu-ray that came out of like disney animated mm-hmm. shorts that, oh, okay. that has like an animated version of that and it's gorgeous like i highly recommend people to watch it uh, <clears throat> if you can find that collection or if you can find that like little matchstick girl uh disney animated short um it's really beautiful they did an amazing job of like you know uh capturing that short story um, so uh well, so what do you got moving to yeah. oh sorry yeah go ahead man so since we're moving on to disney shorts uh <laughs> do you think it's about a good time to to wrap this one yeah, up yeah I, I, I bet you so. didn't didn't think that uh conversation on uh pink flamingos and taxidermia would end up with uh talking about disney shorts <laughs> way <laughs> to find that through line <laughs> um but yeah no i i guess the last thing i would want to say just on the movie uh taxidermia in specific is you know i would love it if a blu-ray gets made of this or it should be streaming in hd somewhere like movie or that new site that's coming filmstruck that new streaming service that th- this is the kind of movie they should be like digging up in their archive and having yeah, um so i hope yeah. that happens but also like Hungarian cinema is like really exciting. I think uh, from the two oh, thousands. I really liked uh, White uh, White God. 
I wasn't a big fan of that, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad that more movies from Hungary like White God are getting more attention, and that movie did get, you know, a lot more attention than something like Taxidermia, and, you know, Son of Saul was a Hungarian film, won the Oscar, great film, Um, Bellatar, you know, say what you will, but the films of his I've seen, like, the guy's, you know, he's a memorable filmmaker, you know, his stuff is worth seeing. Um, Hungary is, like, a really exciting Mm film. modern cinema happening right now. And I would say this director, I've seen his most recent film, which uh, I saw at a festival two years ago, but it's again, not really getting much of a release anywhere is called free fall. And it's mm-hmm. actually, it's, it's six short stories uh, grafted into one movie. So it's like more of a true, yeah, it's more of a true omnibus film where it's set in a building and it goes up all the different floors and you get different stories. And it doesn't connect as through as one whole story like taxidermy is, but clearly this is a, like a cinematic idea. He's this, uh, Yorgi Palfi, the director is like really interested in and, um, it's good as well. Um, but you know, I hope, I hope he's able to get a movie like a white God or a son of Saul, something that crosses mm. over like his peers have had. Cause I think he deserves it. Um, the guy's just a really talented filmmaker and just, just hope to see and more. It's not like, it's not like those movies hold back either. I mean, son, son no, of Saul yeah. is a brutal experience. Totally. Uh, yeah. And a goddamn masterpiece, by the way, if you haven't seen that yet, um, so good. Yeah. watch it as early as you can. I know it's Holocaust and depressing or whatever, but it's a great, great film. Absolutely. These, these are filmmakers that know what they're doing with like the cinematic form, you know, not to sound too pretentious, but, um, yeah, that's, that's, I'm glad movies are getting attention from there. And, uh, hopefully the next one from, from this director, you know, gets it, but you can find taxidermia on DVD at least for now. And um, if you can find it, anywhere. if you can find <laughs> it. Yeah. So, you know, if you're in a city, like, you know, I know Ryan has a video store in Seattle. I have one in Portland. That's where I rented my copy. But, um, you know, you just got to I know Netflix has it on DVD if you're one of those people that still has the DVD option. So hard to find, but um, do it if you can. I, I think um, if nothing else, it's 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 going to imprint some images on your brain. And that's and, always and, working. Yeah. And if you like looking at erect dicks, uh, seek these two movies out. Um, I haven't seen uh, this many dicks since the Republican National Convention. Hey-o. Oh, oh. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Wonderful. <laughs> well, on that note, we should probably get to wrapping up this episode. Uh, but before we wrap it up proper, uh, we have to pitch some titles for the next episode. Yes. Um, th- they'll be my round of picks. Um, so on one of the most recent episodes of Adjust Your Tracking, Eric and Joe talked about a shift in the tides regarding the film industry, but uncertain exactly what that change means and whether it will be for better or for worse. So to further add to this discussion, the next two picks are both showbiz comedy period pieces that feature characters dealing with changes in both the industry and in society. Uh, The artist won five Oscars in 2012, including best picture, best director and best actor for Jean Dujardin, who plays a silent film star fearing Hollywood's impending change from silent pictures to talkies. That picture was universally beloved. However, it's my overrated pick. Sorry. Nice. Um, <laughs> but the uh, the underrated film, uh, we'll be looking at Joe Dante's 1993 film Matinee. Yes. A semi-autobiographical film set in the Florida Keys against the backdrop of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Stars John Goodman as a Roger Corman-esque producer gearing up to premiere his latest B-movie, Mant. That's half man, half ant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Long-time listeners will remember Octane and I gushing about this episode, uh, or yes. this episode, this movie on our Joe it, Dante. It was on the top of my uh, underrated list, so thank you for picking it. And you know, absolutely, it's a great <laughs> film. I I thought it was it, it's perfect for this time, especially this gear, just with 
how distracted we are with what's going on in the world, I mean, which is good, but also... And how much good stories you know, matter when you're faced with situations like that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's perfect. Um, it, it's worth returning to the discussion of this movie. It's yes. worth a whole episode. And it makes Eric watch it, finally. So yes. Finally, that, yes. That's, yes. <laughs> that's, so, that's the main reason to make Eric watch it. Exactly. So uh, I'm looking forward to that episode. I hope you guys are as well. Um, but we should wrap this episode up. Uh, so that concludes episode 52 of Over Under Movies um, here on the Playlist Podcast Network. So we have to thank the Playlist and our editor-in-chief, Rodrigo Perez, for hosting us as well as, as Adjust Your Tracking and the Playlist Podcast, which you could also listen to. Um, be sure to subscribe to the iTunes feed, the Playlist uh, Podcast iTunes feed. Um uh, Twitter uh, at Overunder Movies and Facebook.com slash Overunder Movies. Absolutely. And we're on iTunes, which I guess I already mentioned. So yep. please subscribe to us and leave us a comment or rating because those are great. Signing off is Ryan Oliver. I'm a contributor here at theplaylist.net. Hey, it's Octavia Kozak. I'm a film critic and contributor at the Oregon Herald, DVD Talk, The Playlist, and BayasPrider.com. And I'm Eric McClanahan signing off. I'm the play, uh, the podcast editor over at The Playlist, uh, and I have another podcast called Adjust Your Tracking. I also write for Oregon uh, Arts Watch. Well, thank you for listening, and we can't wait to see you on the next episode. Do you have the number? Does anyone have the number? Number 52. Okay. So I guess that wraps up number 52 of Adjust Your Tracking. Uh, you can find adjust this your podcast. Tracking? Did I oh. say Adjust Your Tracking? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's because I'm looking at my notes here. <laughs> and I wrote that to – anyway. Nice. I wrote that to wrap up the uh, matinee. Th- anyway, whatever. Um, let's take three. <laughs> Good thing we edit this shit.